Welcome to Two Broke Nerds, a couple of friends talking about whatever they want, because what else are we going to do during a pandemic? I'm Alec Kerr. I'm a film geek. And I'm Brian McElhenney, and I am a music geek. And this week, uh, we wanted an excuse to talk about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, although we never need an excuse to talk about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. But it's the 30th anniversary of the first live-action movie. came out in 1990 last month so there we go let's talk about ninja turtles yeah hooray um so we uh we were talking and we were trying to figure out when we started talking about uh ninja turtles or when we first got into them i'm, um, I'm sure we were like in the dining hall at keen state college and you're just like oh you like ninja turtles too that's cool probably i can't remember <laughs> it's uh, like it's so it all blurs together with turtles because it's just it's been a part of my life for so long that I don't really know when it started. I mean, it had to have started with the '80s cartoon, um, and then I remember my my parents getting me, uh, me and my sister the the action figures, the original series action figures. My sister got Leonardo, and I got Donatello. So it's just kind of always been there with me. And and I'm sure it basically just comes up with with everyone I know. And yeah, friends. Yeah, so. um, yeah. I had those figures too, and I just I remember the 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 poke out like sheet of weapons, like just the most the random collection of weapons that didn't even make any sense. They like all got the exact same weapons. Oh yeah, like all those choking hazards. Yeah, <laughs> that, that would you would never get today. Absolutely not. And I would, I would always like, cause you, they all had that like little belt and like, I would try to pack as many of the weapons on them that I could. Yeah. And, I, I remember and, being so excited that the turtles had toys. Cause I didn't yeah. like, you know, at that point I, I had some Batman action figures. I, I think the, uh, the movie had come out. So I had the Batmobile from the movie and some of the figures. And I just remember thinking like, God, if they had Ninja Turtles action figures, I would just like, I would die. I would be the happiest little five-year-old in the world and then uh i came downstairs one day and there was a ninja turtles action figure i'm like oh my god and thus began my enormous collection of donatellos right and little <laughs> did you know the whole reason you were watching the cartoon was it was made to promote the action figure <laughs> right exactly but but i i literally i had a collection of donatellos because donatello was my favorite turtle and every random series that came out. So I, I had like Rockstar Donatello who came with a keytar. I had a Donatello in a little trench coat. He was like undercover Donatello. Yep. Um, I, I had a Spaceman Raft. Oh, nice. Yep. Yep. The, uh, the crown jewel of my collection was uh, Technodrome playset. Oh my God. You had one of those? <laughs> yeah. I got it for Christmas one year from my uncle. And I was like, oh my god, it was the coolest thing ever. I had that, and I had a, I had one of the big Prang dolls, but the big Prang doll obviously wouldn't fit in the Technodrome. Right, yeah. right. Because it's the blown up, you could, well, you could play it that it was the blown up version of Krang. <laughs> right, exactly. And I mean, that's kind of what it was designed to be. Like, it could hold the turtles and swim around and stuff. It was pretty cool. Um, my, my best Ninja Turtles toy was I had the pizza shooter. Oh, nice. Yep. Um, my mom threw out all my Ninja Turtle toys. I try to let it go, but it stings. It stings oh, man. bad. <laughs> oh, man. 
I think I, of my own accord, threw out most of my Ninja Turtles toys, which it, it kind of, which also stings, but it's my own stupidity. But I do have, I have two original Donatellos, actually, because I found one years later, like when I was in middle school in the store, and I was like, why is this in the store right now? I'm going to buy it. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, so I still have some of those. I have the the mutating turtles because I really liked those, where you could oh. like take them from the baby turtle and turn them into the actual turtles and stuff. I had the whole collection of those. The I think I still have the movie star turtles. I'm not sure though. But yeah, I kept certain pieces from the collection and got rid of other. I, I, I again, a literally giant collection of Donatellos. I had just yeah. like 50 Donatellos and then some. Rid- oh, I had the ones where they were cave turtles and they rode dinosaurs. Nice. Of course you did, because you, you yeah, love dinosaurs. I had the full collection of that, and I remember being so happy that Donatello rode a T-Rex. It was like, my favorite turtle is on my favorite dinosaur. I think the weirdest one that I had was, um, we're, we're, we're like turning this into a podcast about Ninja, Turtle, Ninja Turtles toys. Um, the weirdest one I had was uh, a Donatello troll doll. Which was exactly what it sounds like, a troll doll designed yeah. to look like Donatello. He had like purple hair. <laughs> yeah, and it was well. That was because it was it was it it was Playmate that did the toys, right? I think so. Yeah, and it was just because eventually they they had to just keep coming up with. That's why they had all these different mutants and like all these different variations because they had to keep coming up with new ways to sell the toys. Right. There were so many weird toys. So uh, many weird turtles toys. There was a great um, series on uh, Netflix, uh, the toys that made us, and there's a whole episode dedicated to Ninja Turtles and the history about how it was created by the, the comic was created by Eastman and Laird and how eventually they decided to sell the, the rights to make the toys and the cartoon series and they're falling out really well done. Right. Awesome. Um, um, but, but again, we are, we are turning this into a podcast about toys. So the <laughs> film, like the, I was first introduced to the film um, because I had a VHS tape with two episodes Attack of the Killer Pizza, I think, and Enter the Fly were the two episodes. Yeah. Um, and on the VHS tape, there was a trailer for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the movie. And I was like, wait, what? There's a movie? <laughs> nice. I have, I, I was too young. I have no idea. I mean, I, I, I just knew about the movie. My parents probably knew about it or something. I was way too young. Um, 1990. So I would have been. Oh God, I would have been five years old when I saw that in theaters. And so you did honestly, see it when in I saw, yeah, I did. I don't remember much. I remember not understanding it because I was five years old, and it's a dark movie. It and I mean, a not really just, dark movie. Not. I mean, not just dark thematically. It's just dark. It's just a really dark movie. So, like, my little five-year-old brain had a hard time figuring out what was going on. Um, uh, and it, it wasn't until we got it on VHS, cause of course we got it on VHS and then I started watching it that I, I, it, the story started sinking in with me, but, but at the time I was a, a cartoon fan and the stories were so wildly different. Like I didn't know what story the movie was based on until years later when I got into the comic books. Right. And it's actually a surprisingly faithful adaptation of it kind of jumps around, but like the first, I don't know, ten comics. Well, it's it's uh, it's a combo of like the first issue, uh, the Raphael one shot where he meets uh, Casey Jones. I mean, that's directly a scene in the film. Yep. Um, and then some of the later comics, the whole arc when uh, they end up going to the farm. That's 
ripped from the comics with the exception of Leonardo as the one who gets beat up by the Foot Clan. The movie changed it to where Raphael is more the, the main character. And then uh, it goes back to the first issue with the, the, the rooftop battle. So right. it, it kind of jumps around, but you're right. It sticks to, to like the very early run and it kind of mixes and matches the issues. Uh, and, and as you said, it, it's, it's one of, one of the best comic book adaptations, just, just period, just as far yeah. as um, see and getting it right. And the changes that they make improve it. I, I would say that that 1990 Ninja Turtles film is the best version of the Ninja Turtles out there, bar none, period. Yeah, because it incorporates aspects of the cartoon while not undermining the more serious tone of the original run of the comics, which is something that didn't happen in the later films. Even just a year later with Secret of the Ooze, it leaned way too much into kind of cartoony silliness. Secret, <laughs> Secret of the Ooze barely has a plot. And then uh, by Ninja Turtles 3, they're just running around doing weird shit in turtle costumes. It, it's just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they, they really weren't paying attention to the comics after the first movie at all, no, period. No. And they were, you know, curtailing to parents who were like, oh my god, that's so violent and dark. And they're like, oh, okay, well, it's going to be brighter, and they're not going to actually use their weapons. They're going to use right. sausages and toy, like, Nerf bats and stuff like yeah. that. Well, I mean, at least we didn't grow up in the UK because then we would have grown up with Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles with no weapons at all. Um, well, no, they, they did use weapons, but they had... England had this weird ban, or Great Britain had this weird ban on nunchucks. They couldn't show nunchucks. Oh, right, yeah. But I mean, but they, but down to the ninja, there was no ninja. It was, it was Hero Turtles. It was Hero Turtles, yeah. And it's so weird, like, listening to the uh, the theme song with it. Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles. I'm like, that's not the song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but they, they, just, they didn't want the, the violent ninja imagery and, like you said, yeah. the nunchucks. Speaking of um, the theme song, one of my, like, the most random trivia facts is that Chuck Lorre, creator of Two and a Half Men and a bunch of other shows, wrote the theme song. That's really weird. I yeah. have no idea. Yeah, that is like one of those like bizarre trivia facts where you're like, really? All right. And he just did it in like yeah, five minutes weird. or something. That is weird. Going back to the movie and, and also with the theme song, I, I remember expecting to hear that theme song in the movie. And it's weird because the logo in the movie is the same as the cartoon logo. Yeah. It pops up on the screen. It's like, it, it's this weird, like, <laughs> expectations are set and not met but the film ended up being better for it. I don't know. Like, yeah, I, you had you know, it's kind of amazing the movie out. came out the way it did. You had kids coming in probably expecting that cartoon story and then um, getting the comic books, which were, were a much darker thing. I mean, I'm sure there were a lot of kids that were like, where's Krang? Where's Bebop and Rocksteady? Like, right. why is this and April we... in a yellow jumpsuit? Right, and we got all that years later in 2016 with the Out of the Shadows movie, which is my second favorite Ninja Turtles movie. If TMNT 1990 is the perfect adaptation of the comics, Out of the Shadows is the perfect adaptation of the 80s cartoon. It's the one we wanted to see on screen as kids. Yeah, uh, and I think that film, that the, the second uh, of the Michael Bay Ninja Turtles movies, gets a bad rap because that first one 
wasn't very good. And I think a lot of people kind of just said, oh, they just grouped them together when tonally that right. second film took a big shift into the right direction. Yeah. And, and it wasn't even that the first one was, was uh, uh, totally piss poor and failed at capturing the turtles because the one thing that movie did right was capture the turtles and capture their personalities. Yeah. Um, it was everything a, else it was a disaster. Right. And they continued that with Out of the Shadows. Now, Out of the Shadows is not a perfect movie. There's a lot of stupid in that movie. I have big problems with the characterization of the Shredder throughout that movie, well, throughout both movies, but especially in that second movie, where he's just he's just kind of tossed aside at the end. Spoiler alert for a, for a dumb Ninja Turtles movie, but <laughs> yeah, it, it it gets revealed that like oh, Krang's been playing Shredder the whole time, and then Shredder's gone. It's just it, it was not thought out very well, and it's like yeah, Krang's been playing Shredder, but this is the Shredder. He's probably been playing Krang too. Like, that should have been something. It just, yeah. it, it's like, I mean, lazy, right? Super I mean, to be fair, to be fair, to be fair, Shredder in the cartoon was really, really dumb, so. Well, that, that's a later development. That is a later it, development, yeah. So, want, like, first five or six episodes of the cartoon, that first season, the Shredder's a formidable villain, and then as yeah. the the stories just kept going. I mean, because that cartoon ran for like ten years, and after yeah. a point, it just got to it, it got to it got to a really stupid place, and yeah, it, it didn't it, take that long for it to get to a really stupid place. But no, and it <laughs> it's kind of funny because like the first season, which was really just five episodes, it was the five episodes that were commissioned to sell the toy were actually right. like really good. Like for uh for a cartoon that was literally just made as a commercial essentially they did some pretty strong storytelling right and they tell their own little contained story it's totally different from the the comic books but but if you're looking at out of the shadows i mean that's kind of still der deriving from that point in time maybe it, 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 anyway I, I i have problems with that depiction of the shredder um they could have done a much better job they, yeah they could have um or, you know, they could have just leaned into, they had Baxter Stockman in that film, and Tyler Perry actually doing a pretty good job. Like, they could have just made him the main villain. Right. Or, I mean, I think they were trying to set him up for the next movie. They just dropped the ball on that, too. Yeah, because it didn't do as well. Like, yeah, I think he would have wound yeah. up becoming the fly or something like that in the next film. Out of the but... shadows. Definitely a step in the right direction. And, and as I said, it, it, it tops basically any Turtles movie since the first one. You know, maybe someday we'll, we'll see some of these other things from the comics that have never made it to live action, like the Mousers or uh, the Triceradons or stuff like that. Right. I, I was So when they originally announced they were going to reboot the Turtles and make a new film... I, I do this sometimes. I'll sit there and try to like create my own treatment of what I would want this to, to be. And I did that with, I think, Batman, and I did it with uh, Dino Riders, too. <laughs> but I remember doing it for the Turtles and like trying to come up with a three-movie arc. And at some point, realizing that my first movie in the arc was basically just the first movie. No improving upon that. I think that if you really wanted to get into the Turtles lore, start with that movie and create a spiritual successor to that movie. I think if they're going to do another live-action Ninja Turtles, I think you need to go with the approach that was taken with Spider-Man Homecoming, where the origin story is already out of the way. At, you, at this point, you assume everybody knows it, and you just 
go running with it and just start telling a new story with the Ninja Turtles and start digging into the lore that hasn't really been addressed. Right. When I mean, that's what they tried to do with uh, 2007's TMNT, but they started at the wrong place. Right. Like, what I'm saying is to, to ignore everything that's come since 1990 TMNT and then do a sequel to that movie. Do a spiritual successor, however you want to do that, however that would look uh, now. Yeah, and that's kind of the it popular thing to do right now. I mean, they did that with Halloween. They've done that with Terminator now. Just the ignore all the sequels. Let's make a sequel to the original thing. And I was kind of thinking about this today, too. I mean, you could easily do it. You could have April, you know, start the movie. April's no longer a reporter. She's working for this mysterious scientist named Stockman. Yep. Because that's from the comics, too. The Turtles originally meet April as an assistant for Baxter Stockman. So, and, and in Secret of the Use, I almost thought they were setting that up because they had the professor character. But yeah, like, that's always what I thought, too, especially since he, like, snuck away with a little vial of the ooze. And I was like, ooh, he's going to become Baxter Stockman. Yay! Right. Just, it never, that, that whole movie was just <laughs> disappointment after disappointment. Like, nothing happened. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, like, I still enjoy it as, like, a guilty pleasure. I mean, there's still some really funny lines in it. I always like yeah. the, uh... Uh, it's a little too quiet, and then they're like, "Oh, it's a little too rough." Like, <laughs> right? It's it's fun, but it reeks of we made this in a year to chase the success of the first movie. It yeah, reeks absolutely. Of- For every like promising thing, like having the professor, even though it wasn't Baxter Stockman, like that was a really good character, but then they don't do anything with him. Right, and I read an article years ago, and I can't source this, sorry, but it was talking about how that professor was originally supposed to be revealed at the end of the film as an Utron, which in the oh. comics is like the, uh, the, the little brain-like aliens. They're, they're kind of like what Krang was, or like what the Krang the, as a race of aliens were in the 2012 series. Uh, the Utron right. is the original of all that in the, the comics. And uh, they were going to reveal him as an Utron, but the whole reason that they didn't they thought audiences would be confused and thought that was crap. Right. So, another case of like lo- competing lores from the cartoon and the comic books not making sense with each other. Right. And the 2012 series actually, um, they kind of kind of split the difference for a while because they had Crane. Um, and then later in later seasons, they actually did have the Utroms and they said that Crane was like they were renegade versions of the Utrom. Nice. Because, yeah, we were t- talking about, you know, the film being like the best version uh, of the Ninja Turtles. But I do really love I think the next best version is that 2012 series because it encompasses every different like incarnation, the original comics, the movie, the previous uh, TV series. It pulls all of it in, mixes it together. And somehow it doesn't feel like a mess. Yeah. Yeah. I followed that show early on. Um, it kind of lost me because they had their own farm arc too. Um, and that one was actually closer to the comic books and that Leo was the one who got injured. They go to the farm and then they kind of lost me at the farm because it started turning into Monster of the Week episodes. And I was like, get back to the main plot. And then I just kind of dropped it. Yeah, um, I was following it there. And then I kind of like this that season I missed. And then I, I picked it up again on Hulu. And they have a whole season that's set in space. Um, with a fugitoid who is a, a scientist that puts his brain into a robot 
to evade the Triceradons, who are these basically space dinosaurs. And they do all of that in that, that season that's up in space, which is really cool that they actually dug into that. Yeah. What, what's amazing is how fast the comic books kind of went nuts, just kind of went out there. Like, I don't think it's, I think it's like the third or fourth issue where the Fugitoid comes out. Yeah, and all of a sudden they're up in space with dinosaurs, and you're like, wait, 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 this took a turn. <laughs> right, it, it takes a massive turn. It's, it's just, it's like, whoa! <laughs> and, and it's the second issue that Baxter Stockman and the Mousers are introduced. Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I would really love if, if they were to do another film, if they were to just start really going into this outlandish, outrageous stuff, because we certainly have the technology to do it now. I mean, space dinosaurs. I mean, you're writing a comic about space dinosaurs. We need a film with space dinosaurs, ideally with the Ninja Turtles fighting them. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I want Triceratons on, on the big screen. Yes. And the Fugitoid, which is a great character, too. Like, and in the uh, 2012 series, he was voiced by David Tennant, and it was, it was perfect. Yeah. You know who um, we need in live action? Um, Usagi Yojimbo, the, 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 the ninja rabbit. Yes, yes. He, he's been, uh, he started out, he was in a different comic, and they crossed him over with the turtles, and then he just became known as more of a Ninja Turtles character. He, he showed up in the cartoon. Yeah. I haven't read a lot of stuff with, with that character, but anytime I have read a, an issue with that character, he's always been really cool because he's super stoic and totally clashes with the Ninja Turtles, who, for the most part, are pretty fun-loving, free-spirited free fellows. And and he's just like, what, what are you guys doing? Like, c c cut it out. Like, focus up here. <laughs> And that carried over into his cartoon characterization, which was which was great. Like you're saying, there's so much lore, so much stuff that they could dig into, and I think it's just it's probably just like the typical Hollywood caution, caution or, or fear of just the weirdness. I yeah, mean, the closest we got to any kind of weirdness of of the 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 back, like the really deeper turtles lore, was probably out of the shadows, and that didn't succeed. Unfortunately, yeah. and I and I wrote when I wrote my review of that movie, I I basically said that like, hey, they went and started doing some of the crazier stuff from the series, and I think it might have been a little too much for mainstream audiences. I think the people that came out to that movie were the diehard fans, and I think they loved it. But the people that came to the first movie, because that first Michael Bay produced movie made a crap ton of mo money, and I think it was because it was more accessible. It looked like one of those Transformers movies. And so it was accessible to mainstream audiences. That second one was like, what the hell is this? Right. I think it was a combination of, yeah, this is really weird. And also the first movie just wasn't that good. Right. <laughs> yeah. It so it came couple, double whammy. Yeah. A couple things working against it there, which is unfortunate. Back, I mean, but like that's that's kind of been the history of the turtles, and it's kind of a weird fluke that we're even sitting here talking about this. That this thing became this popular. Like, if you read about the the making of the 1990 film, everyone was kind of like, "Are you guys insane?" I like they had studios pulling out on them. The budget started ballooning up. Like, it, it, it's it's a weird fluke that any of this stuff got made at all, and that yeah. that it got popular to to any extent.
what they had to do with that first film was they couldn't get a studio to back them. So they produced it independently. They got funding. I don't know. I don't remember the details of where they got funding, but they got funding. They produced it independently. And at the time, it was the highest grossing independent film released. Right. Yeah, it was. So I found an article a few weeks ago on uh, The Ringer, which is basically just a, a big like collection of interviews about the movie. And they, they talk to all the principal cast and, and crew and directors and stuff. But there's a quote from Judith Hogue, who uh, plays April, that I wanted to read here because it just uh, I, I just love it so much. I was doing production on Ninja Turtles while I was wrapping up Cadillac Man with Robin Williams. I'd literally zip out of there every Friday, then zip back Sunday night and shoot. And it was funny because it was Robin who asked me, where are you going? You are out of here. And I said, I'm shooting another movie. And he said, well, what's the title of the movie? Now, I didn't know there was a cartoon. I didn't know anything about it. I'd never heard of Ninja Turtles beforehand. And so when he asked me, I was embarrassed. And I think I mumbled it a little bit. And I was like, yeah, it's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And he went, what? He lost his mind. Because he had the first comic book. He was a fan. And he said, are you playing April? He was so excited. From then on, I was like, I'm in a movie called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah, I've, so, I've heard that story. And that's, it's so great to know that about Robin Williams and that like, he was like giving her advice on how to play the character and he, and she went to him for advice and like knowing that yeah. little backstory is just so wonderful. And it's like such an, like, of course, Robin Williams was a Turtles fan. Like, of he course named he was. Zelda. He named his daughter Zelda. Like, dude's a total fucking nerd. I love yeah. it. Yeah. 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 And I was always upset that um, that she didn't get to come back for, for the sequels. And there, she's talked about, I think it might have been the same interview that you read, where uh, she talked about how she had a problem with the level of violence in the film, and she kind of pushed back with the filmmakers. And so the filmmakers saw her as being problematic and didn't, didn't ask her back. But I thought she was way better than... Page, whatever her name was. Yeah. And I mean, there wasn't really, I mean, there was less and less continuity as the films went on. Because, yeah. like, Steve Barron, director of the original, was like, I'm out. I'm not doing this. Because yeah. the studio really rushed it. They, they wanted the sequel out because they wanted to capitalize on it. So, that, like, they didn't, you know, if, who knows, if Steve Barron had stuck around, if, if uh, Henson had stuck around beyond the second one. Who knows? Yeah, yeah, who knows? I would say, like, probably my third favorite um, Ninja Turtles movie was, it was a direct-to-DVD, direct-to-streaming, whatever it is, whatever you call it now, um, Batman versus Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, it was based on the comic of the same name. Uh, it, was, it was actually really faithful to the comic. But what was cool about it was it's really the first Ninja Turtles film because it's more a Batman film with the Ninja Turtles in it. It's rated yeah. PG-13, even though it's animated. But there's blood, there's actual violence, there's a little bit more language. So it feels, even though it is kind of closer in spirit to like the, the Turtles of like the cartoon series, there's a little bit more of that grittiness that comes from the comic books, which is because it is within the Batman universe, so you can be a little bit darker. Right. I, we're getting we're getting to the point where the people who grew up on this stuff, uh, i.e. you and me, are now the ones creating stuff. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to see more of that, to get more of the original, you know, dark, violent turtles in, in media. Yeah. Yeah. 
And there was a, a second series of the of the Batman Ninja Turtles, which actually had them going up against Bane and uh, having to align themselves with the Shredder to and Ra's al Ghul to take out Sh- to take out Bane. And you know, yeah. just the fact that I can even talk about the Batman Rogues Gallery and the Ninja Turtles Rogue Gallery like meeting and combining. It's like it's a crazy time we lived in. I know, like seven year old me would have barfed. Would have just like barfed on the floor if you heard about that. I just, ugh, oh my God. <laughs> I can't contain myself. And there's also, and I know you're less of a fan of Ghostbusters, but there's also a couple runs of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles meets Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really fun too. And it's actually all part of the same continuity because they do a multiverse thing. So there's like a portal that goes to, the Ghostbusters universe. There's a portal that goes to the Batman universe, and they even sort of reference like, "Oh yeah, we got this portal from the Ghostbusters," and so it's it's kind of funny, right? I think it's like the IDW um, it is, continuity yeah. of Turtles, which just recently ended. I think, um, wow. I, I think so. I remember reading that somewhere. Don't quote me on that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. There was a couple other things I wanted to say about the original movie. I rewatched the fight scene with the final fight scene with the Shredder. Yes. Um, and when, uh, you know, Splinter knocks him off the roof, it's like, but when you die, you will die without honor. And he falls backwards into the garbage disposal. And then I just love this moment. Casey Jones walks up to the disposal, pulls the lever, and goes, oops. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, what's <laughs> It just cracks um, me up so much. Oops, yeah, I just that killed actor, the- That actor, I think his name is Elias Kodis. Um, yeah. Uh, he's great. And, like, anytime, like, he wound up having a pretty good career. But anytime I see him, like, he wound up losing his hair. I'm like, you're still Casey Jones, man. You could be 100% bald. You're always going to be Casey Jones. <laughs> right? The well, other thing I've thought about really- over the years is how much, I mean... I wonder how much this played into the success of the film, too. There's a lot of Star Wars in it. Yeah. Mainly, is. mainly the Splinter is, is a dead ringer for, for Yoda. And the Shredder is like a dead ringer for Darth Vader. Down to a point in the film where he actually says, I am your father, to a congregation of foot clan. <laughs> right. And they even have Splinter essentially like astral project himself but he basically looks like a force ghost right yeah that's one of the best scenes in the film it is and we talked about this they kind of lifted that the the uh the farm scene they sort of lifted it in avengers ultron yeah in in age of ultron we've talked about this before too and and i've always said if i ever get to interview joss whedon i'm asking him that question just, just either be, like it. Just either have it be like, yes, you're the first person to get that, or to be like, what the hell are you talking about? Either way. Yep. Yeah, I don't, you know, the Ninja Turtles, they, they do seem to have a lasting power. I do think part of it is um, that they each do have an identifiable personality, you know, despite what critics said back in the day, including Siskel and Ebert, that, you know, they had no personalities and they were all interchangeable. And it's interesting that the subtle changes in personality too from from the cartoon. The cartoon is a lot more flat because they all kind of just wisecrack and stuff, but they do have like their defining characteristics, and they're very broad strokes. Like Donatello is always like making some weird machine or something. 
Um, but the movie goes in some different directions, and I particularly like what they do with Donatello because he's not so much the tech geek, although he does some techy weird stuff in uh, Secret of the Ooze, the second film. He's not so much the tech geek as he is the really introspective, like inward turn turtle. Which yeah, yeah, and even, I appreciate. And even in um, Secret of the Ooze, like um, some of the best stuff is that in that is Donatello being introspective and being like, hey where did we come from? If, if we did, we just come from this ooze, what does that mean for us? And the movie doesn't actually answer the question. And that's actually kind of a good thing. It's one of the few subtle things that film does to say, Hey, it doesn't matter where you came from. You don't need the answer. Yeah. One of my favorite moments in that, that first movie, the 1990 film is when uh, Michelangelo is waiting for the pizza they just ordered and Donatello comes skateboarding up through the, the sewer and they sit down and Donatello sits next to Mikey and he's like, hey, how's it going? Hey, nice night. And then Mikey's like, pizza dude's got 30 seconds. <laughs> Donatello tries to have an introspective conversation with him. He's like, he's like, yeah, do you ever think about what, what Splinter said, you know, about not us not needing him anymore or anything? Mikey just kind of goes quiet, and then he's like, time's up, three bucks off. It's like, he's just yeah. having nothing of it. <laughs> so um, it's like a great personality showcase for both of them, just kind of playing off of each other. And apparently, um, there was a subplot at the farmhouse that was cut, and like, since, in, in years later, like, it was kind of rediscovered, because April does sketches of all the turtles, but we never see the one from Michelangelo. And yeah. apparently there was footage actually shot of him actually getting really angry and kind of just co like training constantly in the barn. And like that was the drawing was him constantly training in the barn because he felt so upset about what happened to Raphael and wanting to get better so he could actually go and go and fight the clan, the foot clan and, and get retribution. Yeah. And that kind of goes back to that scene in the sewer where he was kind of just being dismissive and not wanting to actually have a serious conversation. So it, it showed growth for him. And it, it also plays into the scene that they did keep, which we talked about with the astral projected splinter, where he's the one who's like crying at the, yeah. at the fire. Yeah, yeah. It's hitting him emotionally hard. The other thing with Donatello and his introspectiveness that I really like is at the end of the film when they're all uh, they're all coming up with uh, little catchphrases and stuff. And Donatello doesn't get a single one in because he's thinking too hard about it. It's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> and they're uh, all like all like ripping him and stuff. And he can't come up with anything. Yeah, and I don't remember. Was it? It was the first one where he was like Bossa Nova, and they're like, what? Bossa Nova? And they're like, yeah. he's like, I, I don't know. He's like, Heavy Nova? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's amazing how well it stands up as a film. And, uh, like, let's, you know, we haven't really talked about the, the special effects. I mean, those are, they hold up to this day, I think. It's the Jim Henson Company. Yeah. Yeah. And I believe and it, it was the last project he, he worked on. Like, right, actually, right. saw himself. Yeah, you're right. You're definitely right. Because he was not, he, I think he greenlighted dinosaurs, but he died before they started working on it. So, but they used a lot of the same technology from Ninja Turtles in Dinosaurs, the TV show. And those costumes were, at the time, like, state of the art. Like, they were the, the best puppetry that Jim Henson had done to date. Right. 
and I, I, you can see it in the film. I think it 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 definitely holds up. And I've talked to people who think it doesn't hold up, but it's like I I don't really understand that. Like it's it's actually there. Like you can see sweat on the suits. You can see like imperfections in the suits, and, and it just it has personality. It has and they, it, and they legitimately emote. Yeah. You could nitpick and she's like, oh, yeah, but sometimes when they open their mouths too wide, you can see the person inside. It's like, okay, well, you know what? All right, whatever. Like, that's being nitpicky. Yeah. My, my favorite goof in that film is uh, it's actually right before the scene uh, that I was talking about before where Donatello's skateboarding down in the sewer and he turns and just really quickly you see a dude's arm in like this like windbreaker, like bright red windbreaker jacket as he's skateboarding, because it's like, clearly he just had the legs on while he was skateboarding. Right. Yeah, and it's a, it's, it's a really good film. I think it has aged well. I think at the time it was, it was kind of dismissed, but I'd say it's, it's up there with one of the all-time great comic book movies, just because it is a good adaptation, and it has aged well. Yeah. It has. Uh, I mean, it's proof that, I mean, if you have people who genuinely love the source material, who genuinely love the story and see a way to take that story and put it into a new medium. I mean, that's, you can't go wrong with that. I mean, you can, but you have a much better chance of going right with that. And I think we're finally seeing that in superhero movies today. I think if you want to point to, uh, I mean, you can point to lots of films that kind of started this, um, you know, superhero trend we're seeing right now trend of really good superhero films, not just like, oh, superhero films. Um, This is an undersung film in that whole, uh, you know, leading up to that. Yeah. Without Uh, without the Turtles, without this example, you know, we wouldn't have stuff like Iron Man or The Avengers or, you know, stuff that is clearly its own thing, but, but a very faithful tonally to uh, the source material. Right. And I think a lot of people um, at the time, a lot of critics at the time, um, saw it as an adaptation of a cartoon and a video game and a toy series and didn't realize it was based on a comic book. I mean, there's this there's video of Siskel and Ebert reviewing it and they're just saying, oh, I played the video game and this is just like the video game. And it's like it's not based on a video game, you idiot. And um, in actuality, this wasn't this was a film that was coming off the success of Batman and it was cause it was a year later. And this was one of the first films out of the gate to really try to capitalize on the success of Batman. And yeah. it's one of the few ones that actually succeeded at doing it. I, I, I would challenge anyone though, to, to think of a more accurate to the source material comic book film to, to come out in that era. And I, and I don't think there is one, uh, that, that can rival uh, the, the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. No, I don't. I, I think you're right, but I think we I think we need to wrap it up. <laughs> I think we need to. Last thing I want to say though is that I love that Sam Rockwell is in the first Ninja Turtles movie. <laughs> yes, he, and he's great in it. Yeah, he has like two scenes. He's trying to give cigarettes to little kids, you know, because nineties. Yeah. Um, and then he has the line that is the, uh, inside joke about, you need to go to the docks by Eastman and Laird. And you're like, aha, I see what you did there. (laughs) Yeah. 
Or is it's Laird, it's the East Dock on Lairdman Island, so they like right. totally screwed right. with their names and everything. I just have uh, one more thing to say. And it's God, I love being a turtle. Chawa fucking bunga. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> so Nova. Yeah. So yeah, that's it. Uh if you enjoyed it, uh I hope you come back next week and uh yeah, see ya. See ya. <laughs>